Morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin and a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, and it's a cold one, at least where I'm at, 32 degrees. Man, I haven't felt that in a while, kind of brisk. So it's uh, 8.46 a.m. Central Standard Time on December the 4th, 2018. This is episode 45 of Bitcoin And. And we'll just jump right into uh, into the news of the day in my, in my morning roundup stack. Um, first one up is going to be, where are we looking at? Oh, yes. <clears throat> Not Bitcoin related, but kind of is Bitcoin related, as we'll see later on. The French Prime Minister suspends planned fuel tax increases for a six-month period. My <laughs> my take on this is that what these guys are getting really good at kicking cans down roads. It, you know, I mean, if there if there's a contest for kicking cans down roads, you know, our Congress and the French Prime Minister and everybody else that has anything to do with you know, world economics and world, you know, political stuff is, man, they are masters at this thing because that six month period is probably not going to help. But Reuters is reporting the French government on Tuesday suspended planned increases in three taxes on fuel for a six month period starting January 1st in response to nationwide protests against high pump prices and living costs. Prime Minister <coughs> Edouard Philippe announced this anger, you'd have to be deaf or blind not to see it or hear it, Philippe said in an address. The French who have donned yellow vests want taxes to drop <clears throat> and work to pay. That's also what we want. If I didn't manage to explain it, if the ruling majority didn't manage to convince the French, then something must change. I don't know, man. Sounds like they're getting, uh, sounds like the French or, uh, Politburo are starting to get a little nervous. And I would too. I would too. Because uh, next up in my stack is um, I, I have a tweet where I'm retweeting a ha- at Hans Reloaded. And I don't know, I guess I might have jumped the gun and, and uh, walked all over this guy in my in my retweet. Because um, <clears throat> I say, well, Hans is, is tweeting this picture of a uh, bag, French baguette uh, with an... Uh, it's got a blade in it, right? And um, he says of this picture, bladed weapons confiscated from rioters by the Paris police. And of course, it was early. I, I probably jumped the gun because I, I retweeted this back as, no, it's a bread knife in a store with a price tag. Stop circulating complete bullshit. And... I'm I'm starting to think that you know it's it's fairly clear because in the picture there's two pictures there's one with the baguette closed up and then one with the baguette pulled 
And the picture with the baguette closed up, it's really, really obvious that this is like eight, uh, 8.95 euros, un grain dans le bocal piment. It's, this is, this is a, a shop. This is a picture of this fake piece of bread with a, with a knife in it in a shop in Paris next to some cutting boards. It's literally a bread knife. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize to Hans for being a dick and, and jumping all over him because I, I think he was just joking. It's pretty clear. Um, it's a bread knife, <clears throat> but one of the, one of the funny, uh, what, where is the, uh, oh, it's not, it's not in the, uh, it, it's not, it's not where I can see it, but somebody wrote back to that tweet and said, this is about the, this is about as French shit as you can get or something like that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, no, this is nobody got a knife inside a baguette confiscated from them at, during the, the Paris riots. Okay. So <laughs> let's, no, let's not, let's not talk about that anymore. Okay, um, next up in the stack is that Vertcoin gets attacked. It's got had a 51% attack, so let's let's dive into this. This is from the block uh, crypto.com. Uh, Longtail cryptocurrency is 51% attacked, colon, Vertcoin edition. Um, with the fall in cryptocurrency prices and ensuing drops in mining hash rate, uh, crypto networks remain more vulnerable to attack than earlier this year. While hash rate may go up in absolute terms due to improved ASIC efficiency, hash rate is just a proxy for network security. The key metric to note is security spend. Uh, quantifying how much money is spent on, op- <clears throat> on operational expenditures and ca- uh, capital expenditures to secure the network. While larger networks haven't seen a major attack, smaller networks have been attacked as the cost of the attack, the 51% threshold of security spend drops. This year has already seen double spends performed on the Bitcoin fork Bitcoin Gold and the private cryptocurrency Verge. Websites like Crypto51 track the theoretical costs of attack. While they often don't reflect real-world constraints of attack, Example, obtaining cheap ASICs, marshalling low, low enough cost or, or marshalling enough low cost power, etc. <clears throat> they serve as a useful barometer, particularly with smaller networks that use the same hashing algorithm as the larger networks, which is this is me talking. That's pretty dangerous. You don't want to be SHA-256 and have a ridiculously low hash rate. Um, anyway, so they give a, um, uh, there's a, there's a chart here with the name of uh, several, several, you know, more of the top coins and <clears throat> how much uh, it would cost to attack that particular network for one hour, uh, which would get you, like in the Bitcoin uh, network, would get you five anywhere between five and seven blocks deep um, on a reorg. Um, and that would cost you like a quarter of a million dollars. And, you know, truthfully, <laughs> that's just not, that's, who who gives a crap when you can go attack Bitcoin Cash for ten thousand dollars for the same uh, getting that many blocks deep? I mean, it would cost it actually costs you twice as much to attack Litecoin as it would Bitcoin Cash. Um, I wonder how much it would cost to attack Dogecoin because Dogecoin usually walks all over Bitcoin Cash and transactions. 
uh, number of transactions. Anyway, so there's several here, like a Bitcoin, it would cost 320 bucks to attack. It, this is saying, this chart is saying that Siacoin, um, it would take $0 to attack because it apparently its hash rate on Siacoin is one peta, peta hash per second. Wow, that is, that's extraordinarily low, man. So uh, the next uh, more expensive one is Ethereum at 79,000 for a one hour attack. Anyway, so we're going on. <clears throat> the latest cryptocurrency to be attacked with double spins is Vertcoin, a project with informal ties to the MIT Digital Currency Initiative and known for its Lightning Network implementation. Several adversaries over the last few months launched an attack with the latest 51% attack on Vertcoin, reorganizing transactions and causing double spins over 300 blocks deep. Wow. As noted by Coinbase engineer Mark Nesbitt on December 2nd, the double spins amounted to over $100,000 lost on the network and was over 300 blocks deep. Most susceptible to these attacks are exchanges, which may need to extend the number of confirmations required for deposits. If an exchange accepts Vertcoin deposits, the threshold for confirming whether a given deposit is valid and <clears throat> and not the result of a double spend may be may be extended into hundreds. Man, that's a long wait time. As noted by Nesbit, one of the core claims of many long-tail cryptocurrencies is that they are secure or more secure than the largest networks. Achieved by implementing changes like ASIC resistance, where, <clears throat> where the use of ASIC miners are discouraged by the community and hashing algorithms are chosen such that ASIC creation is difficult. Vertcoin's explanation for this design decision, quote, if mining was purely just a distribution method, then people would be able to use the most powerful equipment, which would be an ASIC. Vertcoin exists as a long-term bet that mining trust through higher hash rate devices will never achieve an appropriate level of decentralization due to their manufacturing situation of such devices. While many in the Vertcoin community are still in support of ASIC resistance after this attack, some of their core assumptions are being heavily tested, particularly as hash rate leasing marketplaces like NiceHash lower barriers to entry to mine or attack the network. So there you go. Uh, Vertcoin is the latest, uh, uh, the latest corpse to be thrown on the trash heap of what's been going on in, in uh what you know what's called the, the long tail cryptocurrency market and <clears throat> i'm not an expert on what that actually you know i'm not an expert on this but what my investigation into what long tail actually means is like a whole sh you know if you got like a whole bunch of products it, and you've got um Oh, like, let's say Sears. Oh, no, Sears is a really bad example. Uh, let's say J.C. Bidding for the time being. Um, they sell appliances as well as shoes and belts. Uh, they're making a whole bunch of money on the refrigerators and washers and dryers and uh, things like that. And they're so those are not long-tail products. Their long-tail products are things like shoes and belts and things that cost much, much less. So you got to do a lot more volume on them to be able to, you know, make it make sense. So a long tail cryptocurrency is shit coins, to be quite honest. I mean, shit coins. I, and even though I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Ethereum, Ethereum, I'm, I'm, 
kind of can't really say that it's not, I can't say that it's a long tail cryptocurrency, but when you get down into the stack and you get down into like, I don't know, past the top 10 and five of those suck, uh, you're into long tail. So all of these guys are now susceptible to 51% attacks. So I would expect this, this to continue. Um, and speaking of continue, let's get up further into the stack to something different. Uh, James McCavity has a tweet, a uh, small tweet thread here. Uh, he's at James McCavity. <clears throat> let's take a look at the mining dust spiral FUD, kids. <laughs> at five cents per kilowatt hour, one S9 makes about one dollar of profit per day at $3,800 Bitcoin. Uh, six cent and eight cents are still profitable under these conditions, but when you get to nine cents, it's not. The break even cost here for 0 0.05 dollar, well, for five cent kilowatt hours is $2,300 uh, $2, for BTC, a 40% sell off from here. As we drop to 2300, let's assume miners at, at six cents and eight cents drop off gradually. If hash rate is trending downward, there is a financial incentive for break even or small loss miners to continue hashing. The next difficulty adjustment will help them stay afloat and increase profitability. <clears throat> Take a look at the energy markets for the queues here. Do unprofitable producers turn off their drilling rigs the second they dip into the red? No. Let's come back to that. Many are locked into, that was me talking. Many are locked into leases that require them to drill or they have some cash reserves to weather the storm. They can also hodl, which many do. Mining setups are similar. Facility leases, power purchase agreements, hosting agreements. You can't just shut them off whenever you want. Unprofitable production often requires a sustained period of losses to actually go bye-bye. In energy markets, there is no beneficial effect to continue producing more supply, more downward pressure on the price. <clears throat> in BTC, if continuing to hash accelerates the next downward adjustment in difficulty, then ABC mining companies' unprofitable production actually helps their biz. In conclusion, miners won't behave economically rationally up to the minute. They will try to survive. Short-term, quote-unquote, keep them running incentives exist for slightly unprofitable operations. Those who do survive will benefit incrementally from the death of others. And his last one is, the system is well thought out and resilient. We're going to be all right. And I agree with that. But one of the, one of the things I'm going to take issue with is when he says, uh, when he talks about energy markets and drilling producers or oil producers and their drilling rigs, um, he says, do unprofitable producers turn off their drilling rigs the second they dip into the red? No, they are locked into leases that require them to drill or they have cash reserves to weather the storm. They can also hodl, and many do. This is kind of incorrect. Um, as somebody who grew up in the oil patch, I know a bit about it. Uh, my dad was an independent oil producer, and I would he would regale us with story after story about the bullshit that goes on in drilling oil for everything from uh, lost tools down hole and fishing projects gone awry um, to bad drilling mud to you name it. But one of the things that I can attest to, not only through his stories, but um, uh, after having to take over some of 
some of the old properties after his death is that when I'm looking at, um, you know, any kind of revenue sheets or I'm looking to, uh, if somebody's asking questions, the possibility about buying any one of our, you know, lease holdings, we don't have a lot. We're talking like fractions of a percent to a percent. When I go in and look at the data, I'm seeing, I can see lots of wells that are called shut-ins. And what a shut-in well is, is that <clears throat> it's pro- that particular rig's profitability versus the price of oil at the time and the volume of oil that it's bringing out of the ground uh, was low enough that the oil producer said, look, let's just shut this well in and we'll wait it out because they've already drilled the well. Once you're in production, right? Once you're in production, you're uh, you're not required to act. The, the, there's no such thing in the lease, generally speaking, that suggests that you, by law or by uh, being bound by that contract, have to actually produce that well. So you can shut that well in. So in a way, James is kind of wrong. But there's this one thing that he says down at the bottom. He says they can also huddle. And many do, and maybe maybe that's what he's talking about. He may have more in, uh, more insight into the oil industry than than I think he does. Um, and if that's the case, then my apologies to James McCavity. But um, no, drilling producers they won't shut them off the second that oil dips into or get when price of oil puts them into a red. But they will eventually shut those wells in. Um, and it, it's not as it's not as long of a time as as people may think because it's not all that e- it's not all that hard to stop a production a well that's in production. Um, so anyway, there's that. Well, let's get on up to the stack. We have next up we have crypto bear market. <clears throat> crypto bear market strikes. Ethereum Classic Development Group folds. This is written, uh, this is from Crypto Summer, uh, or not Summer, Crypto Sumer. And you can find them at Crypto Sumer over there on Twitter. Let me make sure that that is correct. Yes, Crypto Sumer, C-R-Y-P-T-O-S-U-M-E-R. I've been seeing some really good stuff coming out of Crypto Sumer. I'm I'm really, I'm actually really enjoying their their Twitter feed. They're bringing some, uh, bringing some good stuff to the, uh, good information uh to the uh uh community here so here here we go while crypto's unbridled optimists have done their best to keep this market afloat incessantly imploring bitcoin investors to hodl and biddle their cries haven't stopped key a key ethereum classic development group from unfortunately capitulating ethereum classic or i'm sorry hold on um, after a month, multi-month downturn in the cryptocurrency world, which has seen $700 billion evaporate from the industry's market value, ETCDEV, an essential player in the Ethereum Classic ecosystem, has announced its closure on December 3rd, 2018. For those who aren't in the loop, ETCDEV is an Ethereum-centric development group launched two and a half years ago, whose creation was catalyzed by the Dow debacle of 2016. Since the organization came into being, it rapidly became the face of the Ethereum Classic development community, lauded for its penchant for technological revolution and its ability to innovate. But now, as aforementioned, the organization has had to fold, purportedly due to funding constraints. Through a tweet, Igor... 
Artamanov, Artamanov, I can't, I'm butchering the man's name and I apologize. The founder and chief technology officer of ETV DEV, actually, I think that's a typo, it's going to be ETC DEV, wrote, Unfortunately, ETC DEV cannot continue to work in the current situation and has to announce shutdown of our current activities. And that was a tweet on December 3rd, 2018. Although the ETC DEV executive cited a lack of sustainable financing, this message comes just days after the gentleman's name that I cannot pronounce revealed a medium article lambasting one of his peers for being a Trojan horse for another team. Regardless, the fact of the matter is that Ethereum Classic remains heavily wounded after this occurrence as the project lost its primary development team. Okay, so I'm not going to read the rest of that. Um, it'll be in my it will be in my um, <clears throat> curated Twitter timeline, which you can always get to in the show notes so you can read the rest of that. Um, but the, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, one of the, the takeaway here, one of the takeaway here is that they just got crushed. And, you know, this is going to happen more. The shit's going to shake out of the tree, people. It's going to happen. And, you know, I mean, I, I feel bad for anybody holding bags of things that are going to get crushed, but several bags are going to get crushed. It's just, I mean, I'm all, I am already seeing, um, what did I, coin market cap. If you actually uh, uh, opt to select all instead of just displaying like the top one, you know, the first 100, if you say select all and then resort them by price, to where you have the lowest price first there as of yesterday there were eight eight count them eight coins that coin market cap has to actually list in their price in scientific notation because the amount of decimal places that their that their value is at is seven to eight decimal places they're having to say like it's you know they're worth like some coin is worth 1.01 you know, times 10 to the negative eighth. That's how they're writing the price in USD of at least eight coins as of yesterday. It's ridiculous. But the other takeaway here is this Medium article that was referenced in this, uh, in this, the Medium article that was referenced in this article is also very interesting. And this is, and I'm going to read a little bit, a little bit for it or a little bit of it. And this is by Igor and the gentleman's last name, which I can't pronounce. And he says, the past month has been very busy for us as we have been experiencing an attempt <clears throat> of a takeover of ETC, DEV, and ETC. Man, that's a bold freaking claim, dude. My last post regarding our financing issue issues was a small part of that. I didn't want to publish all the details at the time, but now it seems I have no other choice. I'll try to summarize everything and make it as short as possible. ETC DEV funds. I lost access to funds I was counting on for ETC DEV's development. These were supposed to cover the next year's burn rate. This happened right before the ETC Labs launch, so they, ETC Labs and DFG, were the first people I contacted to ask for short-term help until I could figure out what to do later. They promised 
they would help and that I shouldn't bother anyone else about investments, financing, or donations to ETCDEV. Darcy Reno Darcy Reno was apparently a Trojan horse in ETCDEV. Not only did he fail to project management, or I'm sorry, not only did he fail to do project management in general, but all he did was to gather internal information, our contacts, roadmap, and try to get control of everything else. He had his own agenda and side communications with ETC Labs. Initial discussions. For the following two weeks, we continued discussing a possible grant from ETC Labs slash DFG, and everything was discussed through voice calls with Terry Culver. During these discussions, he reminded me that DFG was doing a lot for ETC, but that they were not getting the respect they expected. He insisted to add a representative from DFG to the ETC community organization on GitHub. That wasn't so simple, of course, and I explained why to him, but he was returning to that same issue in every call. I need to emphasize here that DFG and ETC Labs have actually showed a lot of support for ETC for a long time. They have been very nice and helpful and so on. After the nth reminder from Terry, I finally called Cody Burns, who was another owner of the community org. We discussed this request and both agreed that ETC Labs couldn't do anything damaging, so why not add them? We are a decentralized community after all. So I added I added a DFG representative, CryCoder, to the ETC community GitHub as an owner. <clears throat> the other owners were trusted people from the beginning of ETC since 2016. <clears throat> to be clear, Adding the new owner to GitHub was not as an exchange or as part of any agreement of a possible donation from their part. I made that clear to Terry that even if we added the representative, it wasn't and couldn't be as a condition of a possible grant. Darcy Reno's switch. Initially, we were getting some progress with a grant agreement and DFG even made a small donation to cover existing expenses, but then... Darcy had an unplanned meeting with Terry Culver, James Wu, and Eric Yang in Hong Kong. After that moment, all discussions drastically changed and all communications paused. That means we had lost critical time to resolve our issues. The only call I had after that with Terry Culver was short and basically consisted of one question. He asked if they, inve- he asked if they invested in ETC-DEV, will there be a different approach to changes in the ETC core tech if I would do what they say or not, I said no. We didn't have any communication with DFG anymore after that. They didn't even reply to my emails. And a few days later, Darcy Reno said he was changing jobs to work for ETC Labs. My God almighty. Uh, ETC DEV takeover. It seems that they agreed that Darcy would bring ETC DEV under ETC Labs. He had all our short and long-term plans, all contacts, and ETC Labs would get much more control over the protocol with him. Without my knowledge, all the ETC DEV engineers received a call and an offer from ETC Labs with much better terms for what is supposed to be the same job. Ethereum Classic Takeover. Today, we also learned what the DFG representative who was included as an owner by their request did after joining the ETC community organization on GitHub. As it can be seen in the image below, that person removed all the other owners in the organization becoming the single owner 
of the ETC community code base, Cry, and, and there's a picture of Crycoder. Um, he's as one people in the Ethereum Classic Project organization. My God Almighty. Removing an admin is not a simple operation. GitHub asks for a special confirmation and password, and it has to be done several times and for each admin. This can't be done by mistake as ETC Labs, <clears throat> together with ETC Co-op, are trying to portray. No. And he's got a tweet from Anthony Classic at PyScale. Best information we have is that it was a misunderstanding between a U.S. and a Shanghai office, not an accident. Someone misunderstood directions and how GitHub works. The issue will be corrected. It's also three steps for Igor to send an email after he noticed this issue. Okay, so he Igor returns to talk, uh, writing. Also, the same user copied all of the existing ETC DEV projects into his own repo. That takes a lot of time as well. It's not forking, but copying, so it cannot be made by a mistake. P.S. Darcy Reno just deleted ETC DEV medium. Parentheses, as I mentioned, he was obsessed with admin rights and still has such rights on many of the ETC DEV properties. In or close, close parentheses. Conclusion. We are experiencing a social attack on ETC itself right now. Unfortunately, this attack is being perpetrated by internal members of the community, such as ETC Labs and DFG. ETC is a valuable asset and currently a public blockchain without a single owner. That makes it a perfect target for a takeover, even at the cost of destroying the main development group of the network. So there you have it. Um, that's some that's some pretty impressive chicanery right there, man. That's that that's like. So, oh man, God, that's just terrible. So, um, for those people, including me, that own well, I own like four ETC. So what I own is is BS compared to like major stakeholders. Uh, but those people that are, have the ETC bags, you might want to be watching this. Um, might want to read uh, Igor. His name is Igor. I'm going to spell his last name for y'all. A R T A M. O N O V because I can't pronounce it. Uh, might want to, anybody who's holding a substantial amount of ETC might want to keep abreast of this situation. Moving on up the stack. Yeah, okay. Leah Kuhn at LA underscore C U E N says, I interviewed one of the blacklisted Iranians and his story raises questions about how governments will or won't adjust to independent Bitcoin takeovers. And uh, let's see here. See if I can get that back. Nope. It's not going to happen. I've been having some really weird issues with internet around here uh, as of late. Um, So this story, for whatever reason, this this particular website, well, this Coindesk, Apparently, it tried to update itself while I had the tab open, <laughs> and uh, our the internet right now is in. It's like uh, not giving me any any love, uh, and it won't do so for like the next five minutes. So, we'll just move on up the stack. But I will say something about it because I, I was reading a little bit about it. This this particular there's two gentlemen about that. <clears throat> they got their uh, their names, addresses. They basically got doxed to the OFAC, the Office of Foreign Affairs Council or something like that, and put on a uh, registered nationals list. And basically it's sort of like a blacklist of, of 
people that are on that list are like unsavory and terrorist and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and it was the first time in history that the OFAC nationals list included Bitcoin addresses. Now we've, we've heard about this before, but one of the Iranian gentlemen is saying that, that he was framed and that he had no idea that some of the coins in his wallet had come from some other tainted wallet. So this is a, this is where fungibility is going to, is, is going to start coming in. Um, it's going to be, well, I mean, it's kind of always been a battle between Bitcoin and, and regulators and Bitcoin always seems to be one step, you know, one step ahead and you lock in a couple of good privacy measures, man. And that, you know, that's kind of all she wrote on this kind of stuff. And then, you know, government and people like, you know, Chainalysis and Enchain and all the other terrible actors, you know, terrible actors in the space will figure out how to, you know, figure out how to crack that. And it'll just be, it'll just go on and on and on. And there'll always be better tech and better privacy tech. And I'm, I'm just not going to worry about this one. Um, although it's clearly it's concerning. So, but, uh, let's move on from there. Um, Saudi Arabia will launch its own cryptocurrency in 2019. For the love of God, people, just buy Bitcoin. It's it's already built. It's like there are so many people rebuilding wheels out there and reinventing them that it's, I, I can't, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting 50 people that are trying to reinvent the wheel. I, I don't get it. I mean, I, well, I do get it. You want control over it, but you're not going to have control over it because it's going to be a shit coin and nobody's going to freaking care. So let's see what these brilliant people have to say for themselves. <clears throat> the success of Bitcoin hasn't gone unnoticed despite falling prices. The currency highlights some interesting potential. Digital cash is something a lot of consumers and corporations seem to favor at this time. This means government and central banks need to cater to this demand. Creating a native cryptocurrency seems to fit this bill quite well in that regard. I, I can't, I just, do I have, don't make me read the rest of this, please. Please don't make me read the rest of it. Okay, I'll read the rest of it. In Saudi Arabia, such a currency is being developed. It is a venture between the country itself and the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> <laughs> Not too much is known about the currency at this time. Well, frickin' duh. It has no official name. <laughs> and, it's, and its potential success remains unclear. The Saudi Arabian Monetary Authority is still investigating the feasibility of such a currency. Transforming finance in Saudi Arabia will not be without potential risks. It is expected this new currency will come to the market in mid-2019, so six months from now, y'all, and it has no name, and nobody knows anything about it, and in six months, it's going to be live. More importantly, it will be supported by a limited number of banks. The Central Bank of Saudi Arabia wants to improve upon cross-border payments. Which banks will support this currency from day one has not been officially communicated as of yet. Well, freaking of course not. This somewhat cautious approach to digital currency shows a lot of questions remain unanswered. And it goes on from there. This is written by uh, J.P. Buntinix, B-U-N-T-I-N-X, from LiveBitcoinNews.com. And, oh, my God, what a freaking gut-wrenching laugh riot that's going to be. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. You know, I, I shouldn't be so negative all the time. But, come on, it's just... it's. It's just another shit coin. Does anybody actually own the Petro from Venezuela? 
Has anybody like gone out of their way to go find a market to go buy that pile of dung? No. I have I see nothing about anybody clamoring to go get the Venezuelan petro. Saudi Arabia might have a better chance because their economy isn't in the shitter, but it's still just a crap coin. You you don't have to reinvent this. The only reason you're trying to reinvent this is because you want control, which means you're not learning the lesson that Bitcoin is going to teach you. You can either choose to learn it now or you'll or you can choose to learn it later. But the longer you wait, the harder to fall. Let's move on, considering we're talking about hard falls. Uh, Manuel Macron. Now, this is complete fake news. All right. And it's not fake news insofar as they're trying the that the Babylon Bee is trying to mislead. It's sort of like the like an onion article, but it's humorous. I thought I'd read it. Emmanuel Macron or Macron. I don't know how to pronounce his name either, but I really don't care. Criticizes climate change tax protesters for not using carbon neutral rioting methods. <laughs> Paris, finally addressing the rising unrest over climate change taxes and other cost of living issues. French President Emmanuel Macron dis- criticized the protesters for not using carbon neutral rioting methods. Macron blasted the movement for callously burning cars on the streets and setting fires that would contribute to global warming. Quote, these protesters are burning entire cars when a strongly worded letter would suffice, preferably on recycled paper. (laughs) He also suggested blowing bubbles and speaking words of encouragement to one another in the streets. Quote, this is much more power this is a much more powerful demonstration than using fire and violence. The French government also said it would sell carbon credits to protesters who still wish to partake in torching property all over Paris. We're quote, we're offering a discounted rate on carbon credits to offset your violent activities for a limited time only. Now you can protest ethically. The pr- the president concluded his speech with a powerful statement, let them meet carbon neutral, ethically sourced cake. And there you have it. I love how the final word references the French Revolution, uh, because if I do, re- uh, if I remember right, that's next up in my stack. No, it's not. So I'm going to add it. I'm going to add it here uh, yesterday. And this, this goes back to that whole bread knife issue that I was talking about earlier, where the knife supposedly was hid, hidden in a French baguette and was seized by, you know, riding, you know, seized from rioters by police. Um, one of the first things that that um, I saw about that was a tweet responding to that picture, and it was something disparaging about the French people saying saying something along the lines of, um, "Yeah, that that." you know, the French are, the French are unarmed. These protests will, you know, die out, you know, very, very, very quickly. Um, I wouldn't be so sure because the French people, uh, right before the French revolution were the, the majority of the populace was unarmed. Uh, they had knives, but they didn't have firearms. That's why they celebrate the Bastille day, which is the kickoff to the French revolution. If you don't remember, uh, the Bast- or Bastille Day was when the French peasantry, who had had freaking enough of the bullshit, decided to storm the Bastille, which was a prison, but also the French armory, or at least the Parisian armory. They broke into the armory part 
and stole the weaponry. And that's how they ended up with the revolution. They were now armed. If you don't think, or if you think that today is somehow, if you're going to say somehow that this time it's different, it's never different. You push a people over the edge long enough and they're going to fight back. And that's what's happening in France right now. Although I will say, I kind of wish that they wouldn't be like spraying graffiti on the Arc de Triomphe and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving them a pass, but I am saying if you've pissed this, these people off that they're going to deface their own national treasures, you're to blame as well. Okay. Just because you didn't spray the paint, doesn't mean that you aren't very, very, very culpable in the damage to the national treasures of France. Moving on. Breaking news. This is from Jurica Bolovic at J-U-R-I-C-A-B-U-L-O-V-I-C on Twitter. Breaking news. Gaming consoles alone could push global warming above 2C in a couple of decades. Just a joke in reference to the recent media bashing of Bitcoin. But seriously, this time someone mentions Bitcoin's like, but seriously, next time someone mentions Bitcoin's electricity waste, give them this example. Quote, there are approximately 85 million PlayStation 4s, 40 million Xbox Ones, and 15 million Nintendo Wii consoles distributed among global households. Their weighted average gameplay power draw is approximately 120 watts. Assuming they are played on a modern 40-inch LED TV drawing only 40 watts for 4 hours a day and idling for 20 hours a day at a weighted average of 10 watts, these gaming systems alone draw more power, 4.9 gigawatts, than the entire Bitcoin mining network, 4.7 gigawatts. From an excellent report from at CoinShares Co., which conservatively estimates estimates that at least 77.6% of Bitcoin's energy consumed comes from renewables. And yeah, we see we saw that report circulated uh, last week. It's really good. Uh, <clears throat> uh, he doesn't reference it, or he references it directly, but he doesn't give a link to it. So, but um, it's in it's in my curated timeline somewhere. Just look back a few days. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting uh, that he pulled that interesting uh, uh, bullet point out of uh, of that report and last thing is some of the <coughs> oh yeah ledger status at ledger status tweets out some of the greatest contraindicators in the world are speaking and man that ain't no lie you got Norrell Rubini you got Jamie Dimon you got all the contraindicators uh, crypto ran crypto man ran over at CNBC South Africa I mean they're all just God, they're just flapping their gums at this point. So it's probably not investment advice. Time to buy Bitcoin. And that'll do it for your morning roundup. Right, we got Marty's Bent for Monday, December the 3rd, 2018, issue number 371. Bitcoin gives you a voice. Starts with a tweet that he, uh, one of his tweets that has a picture of one of the yellow jackets in France that is now coming to uh, get up there and rival Bitcoin sign guy because he's got buy Bitcoin on the back of his yellow vest. 
Marty says in the tweet, the best way to peacefully protest is to use your voice plus money to exit the system oppressing you. So his bent on this is, I'm sure most of you freaks are somewhat abreast of the situation unfolding in France as the middle class represented by the Yellow Vest movement continue to protest <clears throat> as the French government, as embodied by President Macron, continues to burden the citizenry with high taxes as the cost of living continues to rise. The straw that broke the camel's back was an increase in the tax taxes on gasoline, which incited truck drivers to revolt en masse. This comes at a time when leaders across Europe are pushing hard for a, quote, United States of Europe, which would include a regional army and the ability to levy taxes across the region for the good of the Union. This seems like a logical nightmare, attempting to force differing cultures into a monocultural system under the guise of the greater good. The Yellow Vest movement is proving in real time that people have had enough. The French middle class in particular, it seems, has thrown its collective hands up in disgust as the state continues to reach into their increasingly thin wallets to push the agenda, the agenda of European hegemony dictated by the elites running the European Council and the Euro European Central Bank. I have a feeling the attempt by the elite ruling class in Europe to drive the region into one large super state will be in vain. To me, it seems that the European Central Bank in particular has given the European Union a death sentence in the form of a crude debt that will either force taxes to a point where the people revolt against the notion of the hegemony, see the Yellow Vest movement, or the fat lady will start singing tunes of unsustainable debt levels that cannot be paid back, destroying confidence in the system overall. Talk about a rock and a hard place. As you can see here, the ECB's balance sheets and Marty's given a, a link, is filling up with more and more sovereign debt belonging to the countries within the Union, increasing the bank's influence on these economies and tying the fate of the region to its ability to pay back the debt on said balance sheet. Despite this, the people of Europe are given very few chances to voice their displeasure other than voting <laughs> or hitting the streets in mass. Another peaceful option they have is becoming increasingly, increasingly more well-known is Bitcoin. Well, hold on. I got to do that one again. Sorry. Another peaceful option they have and is becoming increasingly more well-known is Bitcoin. Bitcoin represents an option that did not previously exist for people. You could argue gold provided this option, but I would argue Bitcoin's utility and ease of transferability far outweighs gold to the point where the two aren't really compatible in this instance, the phrase vote with your wallet is one that is often heard when people are displeased with some corporation that they perceived as wrong them by spending their dollars elsewhere. They are able to hurt the corporation by coming at their balance sheet. Now, citizens of the world have the option to express their displeasure with the governments and central banks who have an immense amount of influence over their lives and have wronged them in the past by buying or wronged them in the past by buying Bitcoin. Bitcoin allows you to use your hard-earned money to voice your intention to exit the system that may be oppressing you. Every centralized service that tried to provide this option to the market over the years has been squashed by the state. See Liberty Reserves and E-Gold. <clears throat> the state, not wanting any monetary competition, used its full force to tell individuals that they were not free to make this decision for themselves. 
With Bitcoin, the squashing is exponentially harder to accomplish due to Bitcoin's distributed nature. To put out Bitcoin's flame, the governments of the world would have to coordinate a swift fell swoop. This is very unlikely in my opinion. We now live in a world where the option to voice your opinion via an apolitical currency may be open to all in perpetuity. We'll see who the citizens of the world choose to voice their opinions in the years to come. We'll also be able to see if the incumbent institutions can compete in a truly free market. Remember, though, having the option to use your voice is great, but actually using it is even better. Final thought, I enjoy a nice train ride through the beautiful state of New Jersey every once in a while. All right, well, so that does it for Marty's Bip. Uh, One thing that I'm going to tack on here is... uh, um, after my, after I had mentioned that my father died a few years back, um, I didn't realize that he had ever said this. And I was talking to my stepmom, uh, his widow, uh, I think it was a few months after his death. And this is back in 2005, um, that we were talking about something that was going on in the news, some form of unrest somewhere. And she said, well, you know, your dad always said that the world seems ripe for a world revolution. And it does. It, it, it really does. I mean, if every pop, if every citizenry rose up simultaneously against their governments, which is more likely than every government agreeing for a one fell swoop on Bitcoin, um, man, make that would be, you know, the Chinese say, may you live in interesting times. And by God almighty, that would be interesting times. If anything like that were to occur, I highly recommend moving out of large urban areas. That's all I have to say about that. So that was Marty's Bent. And uh, we want to thank Marty's Bent for Marty's Bent. And you can find Marty Bent over at Marty Bent on Twitter. And when Marty Bent writes another Marty's Bent, we will read that Marty's Bent to you. Okay, the vital statistics. We got Bitcoin averaging four thousand and eighty-five dollars. We've got it at a low at cracking at three thousand nine hundred and ninety-one, and we've got it at a high at hit BTC at four thousand one hundred and sixty. Yeah, same transactions over the last twenty-four hours. Quarter million. Uh, 1.7 million Bitcoin have been sent over the last 24 hours, totaling 6.9 billion with a B <clears throat> dollars cruising around in the, in the form of Bitcoin um, in the last 24 hours. Uh, average transaction value is 6.9 BTC. That's risen up a little bit. Median transaction value is also higher at 0.059 BTC or $241 US. Block time is 12 minutes and 38 seconds, people. So we had that difficulty readjustment, and we are now at 32 exahashes per second. We've lost 13.35 in the last 24 hours. Um, yep, I'm reading that right. So we've had <clears throat> we've had 1,400 uh, Bitcoin generated over the last 24 hours with a total of 31.29 Bitcoin taken up in fees. Reward per block, uh, the 12.5 Bitcoins per block plus 0.27 in fees. Uh, Reddit subscribers still remains over a million and has gained a couple of hundred since yesterday. 
Uh, GitHub's last commit was today, the 4th. And across the board, we got Bitcoin Cash at 242. So it apparently is picking, uh, got some, uh, I don't know. I didn't want, I don't want to say legs, but it's got a gain. Litecoin is at, or Bitcoin Cash is at 242. Litecoin is at 32. Ethereum Classic is at 4.7. Bitcoin Gold is at 17.29. And Dogecoin's holding it at zero or 0.0022. Transactions on Dogecoin is 30,000 in the last 24 hours, whereas Bitcoin Cash or Bcash as it's known is 11,500. Everything seems to be crushing Bcash except Bitcoin Gold. And that's going to do it for your vital statistics for the day. Your Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Ann Marlowe at A-N-N-M-A-R-L-O-W-E. And she's responding to something Noriel Rubini said. But let's hear what Ann has to say first. I'm so happy to hear this because every sketchy Cambridge Analytica or, quote, investor passport merchant or suspicious POS I have investigated in the last five years has been doing something with Bitcoin. What does Noriel Rubini have to say that causes her, prompts her to make this tweet? Bitcoin is close to becoming worthless. Bitcoin is now entering a death spiral. Contraindicator Noriel Rubini. Oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Um, uh, The system's doing exactly what it's designed to do. It's doing exactly what it's designed to do. And this... This drop in difficulty is the second largest drop in difficulty, not the largest drop in difficulty. And I I think I said that in in something I wrote yesterday. It was something along the lines of, oh, so it wasn't the largest difficulty drop in history, but the second largest difficulty drop in history that's going to fuck us, right? It's the second one, not not the largest one, not the third one, but, but the second one. Yeah, the second largest. Yeah, that's the one that's going to do it. I doubt it. We've been here before. This is all part of a cycle. Is it possible that this time it's different? Well, it's always possible that this time it's different, but it rarely ever is, is it? I mean, uh, we're going to get a new president this year, uh, let's say, and uh, uh, this time it'll be different. No, it's not. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's screwed up in different ways, but it's still, everything's still screwed up, right? Uh, decisions, take any decision out of the Central Bank of Europe. This time it's going to be different. No, it's not. No, it's not. And there you're dealing with just pure psychology. Here you're dealing with hardware. You know, so uh, the difficulty, difficulty de- or the, the hashing death spiral and the death spiral narratives, it's just, that's all it is, is a narrative. And it's any narrative that they, I mean, the narrative used to be black markets and pornography and drugs. And then it used to be assassination markets. And then it used to be uh, money laundering. And then it was something else and something else. And now they're not even touching the illegality, you know, the illegal uses of Bitcoin. They're touching on, oh, now it's going to fail because of its design, no, whatever. Guys, stop making 
embarrassing asses of yourself. This is a bloke that got the Nobel Prize in economics. He's a Nobel laureate. He doesn't understand anything about the tech. He doesn't understand any. He's unable to understand it because he just he's a finance guy. He's not a hardware guy. This is the first time in the world that hardware and finance and economics have basically smashed themselves together into a nice little Reese's peanut butter cup. And nobody can ever unsmash that shit ever again. Okay. Might as well figure out how to replicate it, wrap it up in a wrapper and 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 sell it off. I don't know. I it's just the narrative stuff is, you know, it, it all it wears thin on all of us. So just hold strong, figure out what's, you know, figure out what's really important in your life and hold on to that. Anyway, so uh, that's going to be your daily train wreck for the day. Terrible Joke Corner. I was sitting in traffic the other day. Probably why I got run over. One of the cleanest bad jokes I've ever seen. That is a truly great, terrible joke. I'm out. This is your outro. I'm gone. I'm going to edit this thing together, get it out to you as soon as I possibly can. I want to apologize that it's gone into an hour or so. There's just lots of stuff, man. The, the, the environment and the, the, uh, the ecosystem just, I mean, the ecosystem will provide. There has never, there is very rarely has there been a time when so little was going on that I couldn't put together a show. I mean, I don't think that's actually ever happened. I might've had to, you know, give a crappy show, you know, but, uh, there's so much stuff going on in this space and it happens day after day after day after day. It never stops. The developers never look up. They only keep going. And you got people like Noral Rubini, you know, Nobel laureate bitching and moaning, saying it's going to die. It's going to die. And he's like, he's saying this, and I, I could just see him giving a speech to the 575 people that work on Bitcoin Core in a room and just watch their eyes glaze over. You know why? Not because they're bored, because they're actually writing code in their head, figuring out how to screw this asshole on the stage. So with that, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.